Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a PYP Teacher. I'm Lou Gerlach with Think Chat, and welcome to confession number 113. This is part of the Expert Effect Book Club, and I'm so glad that you've decided to join our conversation. We're going to look at how students become the experts on pages 91 to 130. This week, we're fortunate, actually, to have the authors of the Expert Effect join our conversation, not unfortunately in this space, but we have an amazing video that I'm going to post on social media as well as on my website of the conversation of um, Grace McKinney and Zach Rondo about um, their ideas about the Expert Effect and how do we make experts within our learners. And from the beginning, I was captured by a quote that lingers is that learning should feel like discovering something new, not simply being told a fact. And that really resonates with me because I am that kind of learner. And how many of us are the product of that learning model of just sitting and being told a fact? And we were told as young learners to be quiet, compliant, do our work. And this touched me because as a second language learner, the traditional model didn't work for me. I needed more experiential learning to connect the ideas together, which drove my teaching practice later on in life. And the idea was transferred to our book club. Um, thankfully, uh, Mike Medvinsky was able to come in to be our co-host. And he asked a very simple question, which really yielded a lot of responses, which I found fascinating. He asked, what project do you remember the most as a student? And here are some of the responses. And I'm like, ooh. And as I was listening, I'm like, I've done that. I've done that. The first one was dissecting a cow's eye. I clearly remember um, this um, as a sixth grade student in Miss Hively's uh, science class. And I remember having a partner. Her name was Brandy. And she was like, ah! kind of girl, you know, like Miss wanting to be popular. And I remember she was like, I so know how to do this. And I'm like, really? And we had, you know, like mini like little scalpels trying to cut so that we didn't go through the lens. <laughs> that was hilarious as I remember cutting um, and out came all the liquid and it hit her in the face and she was screaming. Poor kid. I, I feel bad for her. And sort of. And anyway, uh, she was screaming, oh, my gosh, the cow has got me, you know, and and just making such a big drama about. And I'm like, what? And meanwhile, I took the cow lens eye home in a little Ziploc bag, put it in the fridge and freaked my mother out. Yes, good times. Those memories that stick to the heart. Right. All right. So there were other people who remember writing reports about famous people such as Nathan Hale or. Or famous speeches like Martin Luther King Jr. Um, one that really touched me, um, Mike shared about his finding his way through the marching band and performing um, for the team and, you know, and not for, for self, but, you know, those four years of how working together and being a unified body really made school special. Others talked about, you know, a research um, report that they did on a state within the U.S. and it wasn't the state that they lived in, but family members. 
Another one was talking about learning Swahili and, you know, in primary school and how that really impacted their view on life. In sixth grade, a teacher, you know, um, allowed one participant to research anything they wanted to do. And what was really interesting is um, this person noticed that in the community that the locals did not have access to books. So they decided to create a book drive, um, which really made a visible impact on the community. And another learner said, you know, I had to stay home a lot when I was younger and life skills was so important to me. And, um, you know, looking at the importance of creating um, children who can also become experts themselves. Ironically, Grayson and Zach, when they're meeting with um, other teachers to talk about their book, they'll ask, what do you remember most about school? And most people remember the things that they were doing, creating, or making that had an impact on the lives of others. And if these are the things that we remember the most about school, so how do we support it? And there was a idea um, posed by Mike that he said that creating memorable moments, this is a book that um, comes from Dan Heath, The Power of Moments. Another book on my list, friends. And in the book, it talks about creating memorable peaks that learners remember about how we made them feel and the skills we allowed them to develop on their own. If we have one peak in the school year, this is why our learners don't remember much about us or our time together. And we're striving to create those multiple peaks in a year. Of course, there's not going to be always peaks. There's going to be valleys. But it's trying to find that balance. And when we give students choice over their learning, there are two things that um, happen or we need to consider according to the expert effect. There are things that stay the same for all. Um, we still have the same driving question, the same learning outcomes, same time frame, and same learning standards or objectives. So how do we differentiate? We look at different interests and related subtopics, different types of learning materials, different end products, and different authentic audiences. That makes sense. And so we explored this idea of applying all of this to project-based learning through um, a tool called Truth to True Truth. I cannot say that word. Two truths and a lie. So can you identify which are two truths and which one's a lie? Not all projects will be perfect. Project-based learning takes time. Project-based learning is easy. Can you spot the lie? If you're like me, you probably zoned into that. Probably project-based learning is not easy, okay? And when you become a master of your curriculum for your grade level and specialty, it's easier to know where the learning journey is going to create more learning peaks. It takes time to create a culture of learning that is focused on project-based learning. And there will be inevitable changes, as we know, by a curriculum, of content, of grade level, and all that. But by knowing our curriculum, we're able to weather the storm. And pacing is the key in this process. 
Each child has their own pace for taking in information, organizing their ideas, and taking action. By knowing our curriculum, it allows us that flexibility because we know what's coming up ahead. But you need to be prepared to be flexible. Huh? What does that mean? You need to have a plan, but be flexible enough to go where the learners want to go. And newer teachers often bring a fresh perspective and an open mind to this type of curriculum development. And their entry into our schools allows for fresh new ideas. And I'm not saying veteran teachers, obviously, they have a lot of tools in their belt. But sometimes um, I know I've been this way, where I've become accustomed to a certain way that I like to do it. And then having someone that has um, recently come out of teacher's a preparation program, they might have some fresh takes that I hadn't considered. So I don't know how you say it, the SAMR model, S-A-M-R. Um, let's think about, well, where does technology play in all of this? And how do we leverage technology to drive our learning and teach beyond Zoom? And how can we use teaching in a different way? And this was posed because this was in the expert effect of being mindful of how we use technology, not as a thing that we throw at students, but as a tool to drive the learning. So when we're looking at experimentation, we're looking at, okay, substitution, okay, where tech acts as a direct tool substitute with no functional change. So basically, it is as it is, right? And I found a visual that represents this as a cup of coffee. It's black. It's just a cup of coffee. We use it the way it is. And we're going to substitute what we would do in a classroom with technology, using it. So here's the activity that we would normally do face-to-face. -face. Here's how we're using technology doing the same task, but on a computer, like a cup of coffee. Augmentation, kind of experimentation, right? It's still in that phase of, okay, well, it's like a latte. We've added a little milk, big whoop. And we use tech as a direct tool substitute with functional improvement. So now we're saying, okay, we wanna research on a, you know, an iPad, um, to help us find a wider range of materials to, you know, do an inquiry. It's the same thing as if we were to um, use books or magazines or whatnot, but we're using the technology. There's some functionality difference. And the reason being is um, there's functionality difference because it enhances the experience, but it's still kind of Meh, I'll be honest, okay? And so then we come to then um, to this next piece of modification. Now, modification is where it turns because in modification, we're heading towards transformation. Tech allows for significant task redesign. So now we're leveraging the tech, the the tool of the technology to help us to significantly 
redesign our task. That's like a caramel macchiato. We're adding some flavor to what we're doing, some cream to what we're doing. But if we really wanna spice it up, we're gonna go to redefinition. Tech allows for the creation of new tasks previously inconceivable. Now we're leveraging the tech, kind of like what we do with assessment as learning. We're giving the tech as a vehicle for students to completely augment their learning experience. And that would be like a pumpkin spice, right? Completely new flavor. And so, you know, the ideas that came from this is that the learning comes first and the technology supports it. That's where you're heading more towards augmentation and, and transformation. And how do we leverage the learning instead of um, using technology as a means of doing? Because technology is not an extra thing we do. It's a natural way of uh, expressing ourselves. And it's also about the language in which we use. And it's really interesting as Mike had been able to go into um, Zach's and uh, Grayson's room. And they said, he said that Grayson says, instead, most people say, I want to play Minecraft. Instead, um, Grayson uses the language of we're going to simulate in Minecraft. So now we're attaching a skill to it. That's huge. And to piggyback on this, uh, George Kuros, instead of technolo uh, technology being used as a thing to do, but reframe what we want them to think and what tools will make this happen. So uh, George Kuros made this list. He said, um, it's called, what do you want kids to do with technology? The wrong answer is make prezies, um, start blogs, create wordles, publish animotos, design flip charts, produce videos, post to Edmodo, use whiteboard, develop apps. That's not something we do, right? That's a, that's a product. The right answer is raise awareness, start conversations, find answers to their questions, join partners, change minds, make a difference, take action, drive change. And he reminds us that technology is a tool, not a learning outcome. And the connection that I'm currently making to our present world is chat GPT. Everyone is blowing up about all the educator functionalities of chat GPT in the fact that within two minutes, you can spit out a lesson and unit plan at the drop of a hat. And I, I haven't yet used it, but I'm sure it's a wonderful tool to use. But what's our ultimate purpose? Are we turning it into unit and lesson plan? You know, are we basically using chat GPT so that we can turn in unit and lesson plans solely created by the app? Are we using chat GPT as a tool for more idea generation? Because there is a two um, part process there of difference, right? I'm all in about using technology to support my learning, um, to support my planning. I'm all about it because I rather spend that time at the beach reading, um, 
drinking a frou-frou drink, right, with lots of whipped cream on it and, and has ice cream in it. I'm all about that. But it doesn't replace your ingenuity, creativity, and connection with your learners. And I'm quickly seeing a lot of fervor on social media. Oh, look at this unit plan I just created with ChatGPT. The problem is you didn't create it. The computer created it. And it, I hate to say it, might be poopy. There might be parts and you see that the format is wonderful and all of that and you just turn it in. But where was your thought process in all of that? That's, and it's something that really resonates with me is that we can be easily lured into the easy. But I'd argue that the productive struggle is where the most growth happens for us and for our learners. And I also guarantee that I'm probably going to see more traditional learning styles or learning targets in a chat GPT lesson. So think about that. I've truly enjoyed unpacking this section of the expert effect and listening to Grayson and Zach's thoughts um, in our book club. Be sure to um, check it out um, on the my YouTube channel, um, which is under my name, Louisa Gerlach, L-O-U-I-S-A, last name Gerlach, G-E-R-L-A-C-H. Or you can go to my website. It's thinkchat2020.weebly.com. And um, I hope to hear from you soon and your ideas on social media. Technology is our friend, but it's about how we use that technology that makes all the difference. Have a wonderful day, my friends.